Hong Ho, Nick. Thanks for being with us. Ed, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you very much. So, um, the Go Erie, Erie Times News invited um, Mr. Viglione to come on to discuss uh, charter school reforms in light of uh, Governor Wolf's call for changes to the charter school law. Um, So Nick's going to give us a perspective of those proposals from the uh, angle in the charter school. So, Nick, um, to start, if you could just explain um, your background and then Percy's House Charter School of Excellence, what it does, where sure. it's located, your history with the school district, and then we'll go from there. Sounds like a great place to start. So the Charter School of Excellence really um, started from work that was done between the Erie City School District and the larger corporation company, Perseus House. So let me kind of take you back a little bit and give you that history, and then I can get into my particular background and get us caught up with some of the some of the background. So Perseus House started working with the Erie School District in around 1996, specifically to work on uh, and with schools delivering emotional and behavioral support systems to students who were uh, who were struggling with various behaviors and or uh, traumatic types of situations. So we started moving into the schools, partnering with the school district to offer supports to these students in the school system. Fast forward uh, a couple years after that began, uh, we started to work in the area of alternative education. Alternative education at the time was a contract that we had with the City of Erie School District that was uh, intended to provide educational services to students that were removed from their traditional homeschool classrooms for a period of about 45 school days. This model was in effect and uh, for about five years, uh, from about 98 to 2003, uh, it was strictly the alternative education. Well, one of, the, one of the areas that became very evident with the Erie School District was that they had found a significant number of students that were enrolled in the ninth grade were not at graduation at 12th grade and one of the areas uh, that they've identified was uh, the, the, the student who would be at risk for academic failure which really prompted a conversation with, the, with, with our organization Perseus House because at the time we were delivering uh, education as well as social emotional intervention with students and we're having a good amount of success with those students. So the city and Perseus House together came up with the concept of the Charter School of Excellence. So we are one of the few schools in the state that is uh, in collaboration and that's that's the angle that our Charter School of Excellence became opened on. And so in 2003, we started and we were at the old Hamilton uh, School on 29th and Harvard. And since then, we opened up two other sites. Uh, One is the Maritime Center, which was out on the east side of town. And another one was the Leadership Center on 15th and Peach. Uh, Since that time, we've moved our services and we provide our education services to students in grades 6 through 12 but the services now are located. We have Leadership Center, which is a high school location serving students in grades nine through 12. That's located at 1511 Peach Street. And then we have two uh, centers located at Lovell Place on 13th and French. We have the Skill Center, which is an additional nine through 12 
uh, High School, uh, which is located at the Level Place on uh, on, the, on the French Street side. And then on the 13th Street side is Discovery Center, which is a middle school serving students grades 6 through 8. How many students do you have overall? Right now we we run on average five about 575 students. Uh, Ed, we believe we're right size, we're right fit. There's students that that come to us that have, for whatever reason, are having uh, needing a change of educational design, placement, location. But we feel we're right sized where we're at. We um, we provide approximately 140 to 145 middle school seats, and then the rest would be high school seats with about 290 at Skill Center and about 150 at leadership center and then in terms of your student makeup according to the latest state data about 94 percent of your student population is considered economically disadvantaged is that about right that's that's on that'll fluctuate to some degree but certainly not significantly so that's an accurate statement and when we talk about economically disadvantaged we're basically talking about students from high poverty neighborhoods that's correct right so nick anything else you want us to know about the Percy's house. You know, just that our Charter School of Excellence has a mission. Uh, first of all, we believe that there's no throwaway students, and we also believe that we got to support students academically as well as social, social and emotionally. And quite honestly, Ed, that's been our mission. We've been focused at it, and despite all of the political pieces that that, that come to the table, which prompted you know our conversation. Uh, that's been our focus, and we are we're meeting that that target. And then your charter, Nick, is um, it, it expires on June thirtieth of twenty twenty one. That's correct. So you'll start the uh, renewal process in twenty twenty, probably start early twenty twenty. That's 2020. Correct. 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 So, so Nick, let's talk a little bit about um, what Governor Wolf has proposed. In, in early in mid August, he came out with his um, his package of charter school reforms, mm -hmm. and they include. Um, basically making uh, limiting enrollment for um, charter schools that do not provide a high quality education, um, more transparency in terms of um, enrollment practices, uh, and then holding charter schools to the same transparency standards as um, regular public or traditional public schools. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of this, re a lot of his reforms have to deal deal with um, more private charters rather than public. You're a public charter in that you get that you, the, you get your money from the school district, but you are a public nonprofit. You're not a private corporation that's running the school. That's correct. And so, um, a couple things. Uh, so, first off, all charter schools are public schools by law. The difference would be is which what type of organization runs the charter school. We are you're correct. We are we are a nonprofit. Our, our focus has always been nonprofit status. Perseus House, the parent company, is nonprofit, and the charter school is nonprofit as well. And I, I really want to also point out that there's a distinction. Um, the Charter School of Excellence has its own board, our own budget. We are a separate entity from Perseus House Incorporated. And so the governor is also talking about the uh, the funding practices um, in terms of charter schools uh, being held accountable for how they spend their money, mm -hmm. um, prevent charters from overcharging districts and taxpayers um, for the services that the charter schools provide, 
the fee-for-service model where the state's already been implemented where the state will be charging charter schools if they need to resolve funding disputes with their school districts, which does not seem to be the case with you. No, no, it has not been the case. There's a few districts that we've had to pursue that with, but quite honestly, um, Erie's been pretty, pretty solid. Erie, Erie City specifically has been very solid um, with our relationship and paying, uh, and so that's not been an issue for us. And that's where you get the majority of your students, correct? That's within, correct. About 85 to 90 percent of our students come from directly within the city limits. And then the governor is also talking about um, some cyber charters as well, which really doesn't apply in terms, that's a whole different um, topic because those are not regulated by the local school district. The state regulates those, so that's a whole different area. It is, it's, it, you know, and that's part of, part of the, in, in my opinion, part of the issue with the way that the reform is happening is that schools really need to differentiate not only between cyber and brick and mortar, but also what the mission of the charter schools are. So when we have, you know, just like uh, pretty much everything, when you have a blanket approach, you fail to see the detail. And by definition, charter schools are intended to be something different than the traditional school and support the traditional school, not as an adversary, but as an uh, as a, as an adjunct, and to uh, work in collaboration. So, I, I think there's lots of um, concern with some of the way the terminology and the language is that's out there right now. In terms of how it might apply to cybers and how it might apply to correct brick and mortar charter schools. So, Nick, from your perspective, um, and we talked about this a little bit beforehand, mm -hmm. you believe that there are some areas that are in need of reform or that the law needs to be updated. Can you explain that from your perspective, what, sure. what you think needs to happen? Sure, I, I you know, and by the way, I'm, I'm speaking for our, our school right. system. I'm not speaking for a larger scope. You know, I, we, we absolutely think there needs to be reform in the law. You know, the law is, uh, it, it's been around for uh, several years and it, and it certainly needs to be overhauled. And we're not, um, we're not against that kind of a concept. In fact, uh, you know, as far as the high quality, let's go back to a couple of the pieces, the high quality education. Um, high quality education is, uh, it, it's spoken about in a manner that is broad stroke brushed, but high quality education means different things at different times to different people. And so how you deliver instruction and how you assess students um, will vary from school to school, yet this, the, the single metric used for academics remains to be, in our opinion, a flawed mechanism, uh, which is PSSA and Keystones. Uh, right now there's a major push on school to work and employment and building up our trades. Um, you know, we believe that there should be more metrics used when you evaluate a system and what that system is responsible for. Their system really should be focused on why they were chartered in the first place. And measurement should be done based on the intent of the charter. So uh, we are, you know, absolutely, other areas that are in need of reform, you know, we, one of the major areas is accountability. And you keep hearing about charters lack accountability and we want transparency. Um, I don't disagree with that, quite frankly. Uh, I think that any entity that takes public tax dollars should be responsible, whether that's uh, public brick and mortar, public cyber, public traditional schools. So as far as accountability goes, 
I don't think there's issue with that. I think for us, the issue is to imply that there's currently no accountability. That is uh, that is an error. The the, the amount of um, regulatory bodies that come in and do uh, audits with us from special education to federal programming to school um, um, improvement plans to comprehensive plans to the health department, the auditor general's office, our annual reports that we have to do annually. There, there's uh, our, 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 our fiscal audit reports. You know, there's accountability there. We're a right to know uh, body. So, and we're responsible to the taxpayers who are our parents and our students. So, to say that there's currently no accountability, I believe, is speaking in error. And um, that, that's my take on it. In terms of the accountability, Nick, can you explain how your board members are picked? Sure. So our board, one of the primary differences between a charter school board and a traditional school board is the ability of a charter school to appoint um, our board members. So our philosophy has been to try and find a school board that has the right kind of background to support our mission and vision. Uh, as an example, we have former superintendents on our school board, we have uh, attorneys on our school board, we have parent on our school board, uh, we have folks from the business in our community, we have folks that are involved in the uh, justice system on our board, and we have former curriculum directors on our board. So it, it really becomes a holistic approach to finding a support team that has the not only the background and the education to understand our mission and vision of what we're up to, but then hold us accountable to make sure that we're in line and meeting that mission. Do you think there, there's a need for, in terms of the boards, I mean, they're not, they're not really directly accountable to the public because they're not elected, mm -hmm. whereas the regular school board members, I mean, if, if the public's upset with how the schools are doing, they can be voted out of office mm -hmm. and that, that's some kind of there's some kind of pressure there for them to, to get the schools to perform. But in your situation, I, I mean, who who are they accountable to then? I mean, if, if I mean the charter, of course, the regular school board because mm -hmm. they can revoke the charter or sure. not renew the charter. But do you think there's a way that there can be more more of accountability to the to the public in terms of that structure? You know, Ed, um, I think that one of the ways that our board is accountable is that they're still open public meetings and the general community has the opportunity to address the board to meet with the board so our board is very accessible to the community um, and quite honestly we uh, the board also has to sign off on our reports and so they are accountable through the regulatory bodies i don't disagree with you the, the piece that is different is the elected part of that um, but they are held accountable um, through those other mechanisms. And how long are their terms? They are for the chair and the vice chair they are uh, two to three year terms and then the board can stay on for um, for as long as that they would like to stay on and or the board finds reason that one should not maintain their role on our system. There's been a lot of discussion too Nick about funding mm -hmm. uh, in terms of a lot of it has to do with cyber because the, the contention on that end is that they're being paid at the same rate as the brick and mortars and they don't have the 
the type of overhead that you might have in mm -hmm. terms of maintaining buildings, staffing, the maintenance of the buildings, um, and, and other issues. But in terms of funding, what, what, where do you think that needs to be improved, if, if, if anywhere? Well, I, so not being in the cyber system, certainly having some um, uh, some viewpoints on it from the from the distance. Uh, I'm speaking more for the brick and mortar schools. I think that brick and mortar schools should be seen as any other brick and mortar public schoolhouse. Or it, it, there's the same overheads there. Uh, relative to funding, I, I think one of the issues that seems to be missed in the conversation relative to uh, the financial issue is the bigger systemic issue relative to fair funding. Even in our district, Ed, we could have, being a charter school, we do get kids from all of the, the districts in Erie County. And at any one point in time, we could have a classroom of students that represent all of the districts, and each student has a different dollar amount attached to them. And when you take a look at that from a larger scope, Erie City is the lowest paid of all of them. So. When we talk about funding, it's a bigger issue, and quite honestly, it appears at times as though it's just getting diverted to charters because the bigger issue is just that, so much larger of a systemic issue that's hard to meet. So I do believe so that reform needs made. Um, I also believe that if we're using the 363 forms, which is the mechanism to direct where funds come from and what the allocations are, and we take out from those funds transportation, athletics, you know, the areas that truly charters do not account for, that's, uh, I believe, a very valid stance. Above and beyond that, our students should be getting the same dollar amount as any other child in the state of uh, Pennsylvania, but that's the bigger system, so at the very least, the same dollar amount that, the, that their homeschool students get. And your point seems to me, Nick, that in terms of the, the fair funding statewide, if the Erie School District were to receive more funding from the state than your students, more money would follow your students from the Erie School District because of that, because of that funding increase. Yes, in fact, um, you know, without getting into too many details, the, the highest in the 1819, the highest um, pupil rate for special education, as an example, um, it, for 1819 was $26,000, but the students in a year get 18500 What was the highest, what, what, that 26000 what school district was that from? If you don't mind, I'd rather not call out school districts, um, just if, if that's okay with you. Um, it's online, it's available. Um, uh, but certainly, in the same thing with general education, um, the highest school district is around 12, 13,000, 12, 9, and Erie was about 9, 5. So, again, th these are issues that if you were to take the difference of those dollars times the number of students in their school system, uh, things would balance out a little bit more. So, it, and I'm also not suggesting that other schools give up their dollar amount to equal it out. Um, that's not the answer. That just creates more issue. This is a much larger problem that I believe we're taking, we the charter community, are taking a lot of hit for, for a failed and, and a system that really needs to step up and get a little bit more equitable. Where do you think the debate needs to go from here? I mean, there's a lot of conversation about this. Um, not much has happened recently in Harrisburg on any number of things because of the 
clinical situation there, but I mean, maybe a special session on charter schools or something. What would you like to see happen? I would like to see a fair, honest conversation. You know, in the ideal world, charter schools should be allies with the traditional schools. We should be able to coexist and really support the need that charters were intended to be, which is fill a gap of service to a specific need and or population to better the community as a whole. And, you know, we're so adversarial because of these dollar conversations that that really is driving the bus. And, you know, I told you in the beginning, our, our opinion is there's no throwaway kids. Well, so decisions really need to be focused on that. Where are the, you know, what's in the best interest of kids? That's why charters were created in the first place. And it seems like that's no longer a major part of the conversation. So I would like to see that somehow get back on the table. Ed, I think that that is a fair concept to, re, to revisit. And as far as the, the current reform, another, another piece to this that um, really doesn't make sense from my perspective is the fee for service for districts that are delinquent or simply not paying charter schools. That to me, um, the logic behind it seems flawed from the beginning. In theory, basically what the, what, what's being said is money by law is supposed to funnel from PDE to the traditional school. The traditional homeschool then is supposed to funnel that money to the charter school to where the kids are getting educated. If the traditional school does not forward the money, charter schools have no other option but to then request redirection from the state. Who's money it came from in the first place but the new reform would suggest that the charter school would have to pay for the state to step in to support monies that by law should have already happened so for me the logic is absolutely flawed and and like i said i'm from our small world we're, we don't really have that issue so i want to be clear and, and acknowledge our local school districts that I don't see that as the major issue but from a state perspective what that says is that the governor is not really supporting charter schools and allowing something to manifest itself because they're not the the, the current laws are not fault being followed to me that's flawed logic and um, the, the the bigger issue with that is what's next then if, if flawed logic is driving this bus what's right around the corner um, for me that's a concern as a somebody who represents almost 600 families and in, in, in students Nick in terms of your charter what mm -hmm. makes you unique sure in terms of what what's written in your charter so again our charter was intended to support those students who are at risk for academic failure and let me be clear academic failure um, the at risk for academic failure is multiple pieces. It could be students that are being bullied. It could be students that come academically delayed and or behind. It could be students that are parents that need to work and move themselves in the community to gain money. Uh, so it, it, there's lots of reasons that kids would be at risk for academic failure. Our system um, you know, we have a couple ide uh, ideas on that and ways to move students forward and through that. 
The first thing that would make us different is that we believe that uh, what's called the proximal zone of development. When students come into a classroom and are in a, are sitting in a classroom and they're already academically behind and they start on chapter one of a book and the agenda by the end of the year is to get to chapter 20. So we're moving students forward at a pace that they're not ready to move at. So by the time the year goes, you see the achievement gap start to become greater. Our philosophy is students need to be taught at the level of functioning that they're currently at, but they need to raise their arm and stand on their tiptoes to reach that so that it's attainable, that they find success, and then they can build upon that success. So that would be one um, concept that we believe in. We also believe that time doesn't really, um, shouldn't drive the bus on how kids move forward in their years. You know, we have many students that historically come to us with, you know, significant truancy. And rather than failing kids year after year, uh, we believe that you should give them an extra quarter um, to finish their work. You know, not fail them and have them start back at the beginning of the line, but have them start where they left off so that they can move themselves forward. So their pacing is a bit slower, which as a school, then we, we would take a hit on our graduation cohort. But from a realistic perspective, these kids are moving themselves forward. They're just able to do it at a, at a, at a pace that's more amenable to their situation. So I do believe that those are a couple um, pieces that make us different. I would say one final piece is our, the way that we design our instruction and our programming. Well, we provide workforce for kids. We know that we have a high amount of kids that are in poverty, so our goal is to support their fiscal needs, um, which also then motivates their academic needs. So there's a few examples of what would drive our, our system forward.